From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. It's Friday, April 16th. Today, KZMU launches our Spring Radiothon fundraiser. It's happening at a time where coronavirus is still very much a reality, still affecting different aspects of this community radio station. But there's a palpable new energy, too, perhaps fueled by the promise of vaccination. Today on the news, we check in with station manager Sarah Mead on the lessons that she wants to keep from the past pandemic year and what she's eager to leave behind. In a nutshell, this past year has really highlighted the adaptability of everyone involved at KZMU. Anyone who's ever been a DJ or a staff person or a volunteer or a trustee has, can attest to the fact that KZMU can roll with the punches. Mm. And this was uh, this was like a, a major example of that. Um, some of the most notable changes were um, almost every single one of our DJs for about three months had to shift to recording their shows remotely from home. Mm. And so I think we had about three days maybe or less of just automation system, which is our jukebox. We are loving, amazing (laughs) jukebox. (laughs) Um, And then we just immediately started picking up with getting pre-recorded shows from DJs. Mm -hmm. And that was amazing. And that just kind of continued continued on. It also allowed us um, a chance to really rethink what is important about programming on community radio. So after we kind of got our bearings, mm-hmm. we started to think about what what kind of messaging do we want to put out there? What How are we going to change up um, the news, for example? Mm-hmm. What are we going to focus on? How long should it be? Mm-hmm. How do we offer it? And now coming out of this, most of our DJs are back live. There are a few that are still pre-recording. But now we're able to really have that kind of creative outlook and apply it to more exciting things, like what can we add to our programming? Okay, if there's this time slot where we don't have a lot of music DJ interest, what if we put something weird and cool there, like Desert Oracle or the Barnaby Brothers Mystery Hour? And so there's these really nice pockets of inspiration and slate clearing. Right. We had sort of like an open palette to be able to rethink some things. Right. It um, shook up. It was like shaking out the program schedule a little bit. It did. Yeah, it really did. And um, and all of the DJs who've come back have been so happy to be live. Mm-hmm. The other thing that happened that, that we don't talk about too much is that we got a lot of new DJs in the last six months of the pandemic. Um, our nighttime program schedule pretty much saw almost a complete turnover. Mm-hmm. And so there are are something like eight brand new DJ voices on the air that Mm. weren't here January 2020. Um, And that's super duper exciting. That's really neat because at the beginning of the pandemic, I don't think any one of us would have assumed that we were going to get new DJs on the airwaves during this time. No, we were all (laughs) thinking about what are we going to do when we lose all of our DJs? Exactly. And and the opposite has been true. Uh So it's, yeah, it's really, it's wild. Now that we're we're in a time now that we can see a sense of the old KZMU sort of returning, old KZMU meaning like, we can see when we we could have live in-person guests again or, (laughs) you know, where we can have people drop by safely again, Uh you know, once uh, the vaccination rollout is is more complete. Um, Is there anything from the pandemic that you as station manager, general manager, you know, any lessons learned that you want to carry on throughout, you know, your tenure here at the station? Oh, that's a great question. (laughs) 
I mean, the air booth has never been cleaner. <laughs> sure, so, right. That's, that's number one. That's definitely one that I want to <laughs> carry on. In fact, I've had a lot uh-huh. of DJs who came back after pre-recording for a year uh-huh. tell me that exact thing. <laughs> wow, it's so clean in there. Um, so obviously that. You know, the uh-huh. other thing that really um, uh, that has really stuck with me that I want to keep applying is, I don't know quite how to describe this, but giving everybody a lot of space to to um, make mistakes mm-hmm. and to take time off, take time away, not mm-hmm. show up, stuff like that. Things where I think prior to to the pandemic, since we were since I was so focused on getting this station on the strong foundation and mm-hmm. moving forward and having accountability and really managing in a way that was like understanding and keeping tabs on things. Right. And now I'm I'm a lot more like okay. Mm-hmm. This thing isn't happening. Mm-hmm. Let's wait a little minute and see what happens with it. Right. And I also find that that has been true for projects that like you and I have worked on, mm-hmm. like our um, in the news and public affairs department trying to get more voices on the air. You and I at one point had a meeting and we were like, let's just wait and see right. what happens with this. And sure enough, we got this great grant mm-hmm. from Grand County and now we can actually pay freelance journalists. Mm-hmm. This is something that we could we didn't predict. Right. But it happened. Another example of that is our youth our youth programs. We were really, really trying to get this thing happening. We had one amazing <laughs> youth led public affairs program mm-hmm. over a year ago and then the the pandemic hit. So we just sort of said, let's just see what happens to this. And now we have an intern from the high school. We are in the running to get an AmeriCorps state volunteer who would direct the youth programs offering that KZMU has. And we're partnering with Grand County High School in a number of different ways. Mm -hmm. Again, things that March 2020, I would not have predicted happening in Mm -hmm. just like a year's time. It's interesting that you say that because I think that's a lesson I've learned where I say, you know what, I want to have this program and it's going to look like this and we're going to talk about this Mm -hmm. and I'm going to have this person do it. And this, (laughs) you know, like I have these like rigid expectations. Yeah. And it's like just putting it out there and being like, I know I want to have, you know, a show like this. I know I want to partner with youth. We know we want to do this. Yeah. And keeping putting the feelers out there and seeing what comes back to yeah. the radio station. Yeah. And I think it's a little bit, it, I would say it used to be sort of against my nature to uh-huh. be that um, just receptive mm-hmm. all the time. You know, I think there was, like I said, there was this feeling of, um, when I took over the when I took the helm um, after Marty Durlin, it was like, let's get this budget in order. Let's get this mm-hmm. figured out and this figured out. And that was kind of working for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really appreciate that the pandemic, you know, taught us this lesson that mm-hmm. like, well, we can sort of slow down mm-hmm. and not lose momentum if that makes sense sure right i think this is like bringing up true community radio right like the flexibility um you know if someone comes to us with a great idea we say yeah let's see how we can make this happen Mm -hmm. like let's see how that fits into our mission how can we support you and i think we've talked about all of that but that's that's really shown up this this past year definitely yeah yeah um anything you want to leave behind (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> from oh. yeah we talked about stuff you want to keep <sighs> anything you want to leave behind yeah yeah I am looking forward to leaving behind the sort of fear and anxiety around people and gathering both in 
tiny groups as in having one or two live guests on the air at mm-hmm. the you know spur of the moment um, but also I have really missed the engagement with the community that KZMU really started to foster heavily in 2019 and 20 mm-hmm. with things like our ladies arm wrestling tournament, but mm-hmm. also being at City Market, being at the Red Rocks Arts Festival, at the Music Festival, Folk Festival. And we started doing these amazing DJ get-togethers. Right. We had a DJ skate night. We had a um, costume contest dance party at the <laughs> helipad. Uh-huh. And there are so many volunteer DJs. There's over 80 at this point. And um, that's a huge community. Like that's a community in and of itself. And so I really was taking pride in being able to foster that kind of, you know, connection amongst that community. And without being able to do that for so long, I'm like, how do I do that with Zoom? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I know. How do we do this? So um, I'm really looking forward to leaving that behind and being able to actually start doing that again in in person safely of course and with no rush but right. I'm, I'm i'm missing that a lot you know i know that there we're headed into radiothon um our spring radiothon fun drive there's going to be a lot more from probably the both of us especially you on the airwaves mm-hmm. talking to <laughs> listeners anything to say as we get going today when this airs it'll be the first day of radiothon yeah anything to put across Kicking to our it community off good. <laughs> yeah well i would just ask our listeners to notice the 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 new things mm-hmm. um for radiothon we're we're going to be pitching during democracy now um now so you'll hear voice live voices during democracy now we're also we've invited our board of trustees to come on as pitch partners. So you'll be hearing a lot more of the staff and the trustees live on the air to support our amazing DJs. Mm -hmm. And I would just ask that as listeners are driving around or flipping it on right when they get home from work, just to kind of notice the diversity in voices and the diversity in types of and forms of expression that we have on KZMU Mm -hmm. and how special that is. You can't can't get that with commercial radio and it's rare to find in um even in non-commercial radio stations at least in in our immediate area um to be able to have that that amount of free form mix of super experienced and inexperienced and mm-hmm. um and all people who are just so passionate about public media and um the offering that we give to our community in times of global pandemic and let's not forget about the um the sort of racial upheaval Mm -hmm. that we've been having as well and and coming to terms with our identity as individuals Mm -hmm. and as a community and to be able to have something like kzmu that can reflect that back on a pretty consistent basis is really something special KZMU's station manager, Sarah Mead, talking about the state of the station over the past year. Today is the first day of our spring radiothon. If you have the means, please consider supporting your community radio station. No donation too small or too big. And now we have our weekly newsreel where we speak to reporters and editors about the stories they most recently covered in our area. The discussion picked up this week at the city and county over what to do about noise in the valley, specifically noise emitted from ATVs and UTVs. Times Independent editor Doug McMurdo has more from their coverage. As we all know, the state lawmakers declined in a split vote to... um, allow Moab to enact a curfew on driving OHVs and instead urged local officials to use the laws already at their disposal. And that's exactly what happened. And 
really picking up steam this week with both the Grand County Commission and the Moab City Council having um, intense debate on rewriting their noise ordinance and uh, rewriting the business license for OHB businesses. And both of them are focused on noise issues Mm -hmm. equally. One of the things that the city is doing is repealing and replacing its noise ordinance. And they're Mm -hmm. looking at um, uh, if they can't have a curfew on the vehicles, they're going to have a curfew on noise. And they're being very careful to not single out any type of vehicle, but vehicles in general, uh, decibel limits, um, and how you can arrange that and how that can be uh, possibly enforced. So they discussed it in depth uh, Tuesday night. Uh, they did not take action because um, there's a lot of concern. They were in a, they were in a, between a, a hard spot and a rock. They want to... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, protect people's quality of life or improve people's quality of life who are already under siege with uh, the constant noise. But they also want to um, make sure they don't harm the local businesses that you know rely on OHV customers. So it's a real tightrope that they're walking there. They're really doing a deep dive, and the conversations are honest, and they're pretty raw, and emotions can get high, uh, mm-hmm. not just with the business owners, but with um, with the city council and the, and the county commissioners as well. Yeah, thank you for for how you frame that the state was loud and clear, saying, hey, Grand County and Moab City, you have to use the tools available to you, and now that discussion is happening at a rapid pace and it turns out the tools are limited and the ones that are out there are expensive. (laughs) Yeah, uh, no easy answers, no easy answers. Uh, Moving on, the Times Independent has a piece about Interior Secretary Deb Holland's visit. Can you talk talk a little bit about that? I can. I do know she definitely met with um, Mary McGann, uh, who drove to Blanding um, on April 8th. Uh, to have a listening session with the interior secretary. And while she was there, she urged, um, she made a couple of requests. One of them was to restore Bears Ears to its original size after um, the Trump administration reduced it by 85%. I don't know if it's going to be uh, you know, expanded back to its original size that President Obama had when he created it uh, back in 2016. I think it was one point. 35 million right. acres, and now it's 85% of that. And when it was reduced, a lot of significant cultural places are exposed to mining and drilling and, and all of those things. Mm, yeah, tough decisions on the federal level, um, but interesting to note that Deb Holland took time to meet with a lot of local stakeholders. Right. Chair McGann also. She had very strong words. Uh, This is a quote. The United States has a long history of not keeping its word in treaties with the Native Americans. When President Trump so drastically decreased the size of Bears Ears, it came as no surprise to many Native Americans who said the United States has never kept its words with the the Native Americans. Why would this time uh, be any different? Let's make Mm -hmm. this time different and have the United States government keep its word by reestablishing Bears Ears. So that was pretty strong. And she also urged that uh, Secretary Holland both provide more funding in terms of law enforcement with the local uh, Bureau of Land Management field office. She noted that there's 
three law enforcement officers um, for 1.8 million acres of BLM land, and one of those officers shares uh, shared with uh, the Monticello field office. So she just wants some help for the local BLM to to have more people to you know do a better job. Well, thanks, Doug. And if I can bring you back to the city council issues. The Times Independent has a report about utilities. Right. Uh, quite a while ago, the city did not provide a discounted sewer rate for churches, which had been done, I guess, for, for decades. It used to be, I guess, customary. Uh, they asked for a break because they, they can't afford to pay the full rate. And uh, on Tuesday, the city council voted 5-0 to bill the churches and government facilities. is about... Um, in buildings, I guess, involved in all of this at the winter rates instead of the year-round rate. So mm-hmm. that, would, that would be lower. Uh, however, whatever that rate is going to be, it's going to change for all of us pretty soon because when the city pretty much put a moratorium on new lodging, overnight lodging developments, uh, those impact fees went away. They haven't collected any impact fees on uh, overnight lodging developments since September of 2019. That money was helping pay off the 20-year bond for uh, the Water Reclamation Center on 400 North. In any event, what's going to happen is they're doing a study, they're going to do some recalculations, and they're going to figure out how to bill everybody, commercial and residential users, in addition to whatever the increase is going to be to you know, supplement the the impact fee revenue. People are also going to get another load to um, cover whatever the church, churches, and government um, facilities are would no longer pay. So everybody's going to pay more to flush. Okay. So conclusion on that one is expect some higher sewer rates um, in the coming months or within the yeah. year. And I should be clear too that um, I don't think the city was ever according to city manager Joel Linares, I don't think the city was ever expecting to be able to pay off that 20-year multi-million dollar bond with uh, impact fees paid by developers. Uh, that just sure. didn't happen. So if the bond was being paid off by development uh, in those impact fees, then that just means more people are using the sewer, so it's going right. to you know, need to be expanded sooner. So Right, those impact fees are paying off real impacts, essentially. Exactly. Yeah, they're called impact fees for a reason. And and also, Doug, you wanted to make a little announcement about um, paving on the highway? Yes, starting at Sunday night, uh, crews working on the Highway 191 uh, widening project uh, north of downtown to the River Road can expect paving to run into a little bit of traffic problems at night. Um, and this is going to go on for the foreseeable future. They're just going to do one pass a night, so they're constantly going to be moving down the down the road. But um, this project's getting very close to being finished. Finally, you wanted to end with some cool news on Grand County youth. Yes, we've got a, a, an awesome photo of a soccer game taken by Amy Walling. The soccer team is on fire. They're seven and zero. They're just trouncing their opponents, and they're playing really well. Meanwhile, uh, three basketball players uh, from the team that had one of the most successful seasons in decades made All-State, and they are Moroni Seely Roberts and his uh, twin brother Malachi 
were named All-State, as was Rylan Jones. He was the uh, uh, quarterback on the football team, and he was a starter on the basketball team, a senior. He was also named All-State. So congratulations to those guys. Um, you made us proud. And finally, Austin Paris Wright, the um, wrestling phenom that has won hundreds of matches uh, all over the country. He won a national championship, uh, taking the uh, USA folk-style national uh, in Iowa. So um, wow. congratulations to Austin. He's a Grand County Middle School student, and we all expect really big things from this kid down the road. Doug McMurdo, editor at the Times Independent. Subscription information and more stories can be found at moabtimes.com. Rock climbers in the Moab area have expressed outrage this month after learning someone bolted new routes across a panel of petroglyphs north of Arches National Park. Editor and publisher Maggie McGuire at the Moab Sun News tells us more about their coverage. Right north of Arches on Bureau of Land Management sort of territory, there's an area known as the Sunshine Wall. And that has some sort of established climbs on it. They're like pretty, um, pretty mellow climbs for the most part. And a, you know, fellow who is pretty familiar with the area went out there, was planning on doing some climbs. He had been out there, you know, maybe 10 years before. And what he noticed right off the bat was that someone had gone and bolted these like fairly fairly accessible climbs unbelievably close to existing petroglyphs which is a really big no-no not only in the climbing community but basically in any community so this kind of created a stir in climbing circles is is that right yeah yeah i mean the climbing community is super online and and tends to be pretty feisty over over issues like this and what's interesting is um, the gentleman who had sort of um, first discovered these bolts, you know, he was able to find out actually the the specific person who had done this um, relatively quickly because this this guy had documented that, hey, I went out here and I bolted these on an online climbing forum. So it's it's particularly interesting because, you know, we get to hear sort of from that, that dude, you know, uh, who's mm-hmm. basically kind of you feeling bad and definitely scrambling for like why he thought this was okay to do. Um, his main point seems to be that he didn't really recognize these as authentic petroglyphs, you know, and just sort of thought that they were more graffiti. And I think that some people online maybe are like, we don't think that that's a, an honest or realistic excuse for, for basically bolting is, is, is what it sounds like. It's driving um, metal bolts into the rock in order to to secure um, protection for climbers. Um, so it does permanently damage the rock face, um, even once the bolts are removed, which these particular ones have been. There's like you know a large pock mark. It's similar to um, you know sort of a, a bullet hole when you see um, petroglyphs that have those in it. Um, so it is it's significant damage. But what I think is really interesting is that even if we're um, taking this guy sort of at his statements um, that he didn't know that these were authentic petroglyphs at face value. I think even if you believe him, that's really interesting because that kind of opens up this whole line of um, thought of how much understanding and how much connection with a community should you have to feel empowered to to make such a significant sort of decision on on how to manage that property. And I guess what I'm saying is, you know, this guy kind of came out saw this, made his own decisions um, about how to sort of manage this wall. 
not being really from the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in areas like ours where we're constantly balancing the the needs and the expertise of of locals with the needs of travelers, and then, you know, even getting into the idea of what is a local even. Right. I mean, these these are public lands. The Bureau of Land Management, it sounds like the Moab Sun News reached out to the BLM, but they didn't respond in time for print. You know, all of this is, is certainly disappointing. It's a weird one. You know, the guy who put these bolts up, you know, his sort of case was, one, I didn't understand that these were real petroglyphs, and two, Uh, I'm a disabled veteran and I wanted to make this climb more accessible. These kind of debates are really common within the the climbing world. They're really thorny. They're really knotty. Um, When you're talking about not only managing the ethics of a specific sport, but then also like interacting with public land management and interacting with different user groups. And it just gets kind of naughtier and naughtier until you're left holding this uh, beach ball size snarl. <laughs> True. I mean, even throwing the concept of bolting in the first place. Mm-hmm. Well, especially in Moab, where, you know, kind of like crack climbing and, and doing trad stuff, which is, you know, where you're you're able to remove sort of the protection and, and leave the rock as it is, is really common here. But it's actually not that common in, in other areas of the country. Um, because of the differences in in rock. So I think you're totally right that even the bolting kind of is an interesting thing about like, okay, well, was this again, a a, um, not understanding sort of what the nature of this area is, you know, a lot of local climbers um, looked at one set of bolts in particular, that were installed, I mean, basically six inches away from from a crack, (laughs) where you could have very easily placed um, removable protection. So yeah, it's it's just one of those things that if I was a sociologist, my mouth would be watering. Now moving on to another piece, uh, the Mobson News has more details on the fire that occurred in the Matheson Wetlands Preserve last week. Can you tell us a little bit about this? Uh, there's a picture on the front page that shows damage to a structure in the preserve. Um, the managers of the, the Matheson Wetlands Preserve, which is, you know, up off Cane Creek Boulevard um, in the kind of the northwest part of Moab and is a, a privately owned you know, piece of land that's owned by the Nature Conservancy, and it's sort of op- usually open to the public as a place for folks to go bird watching. It's um, it's a, a habitat, but they actually closed their gates about two weeks ago, um, just because of concerns about overuse, concerns about overuse of their um, parking lot, concerns about some illegal camping, just sort of like the <laughs> the area was being used. Um, hard, I would say. It was hard use. And this particular preserve, they don't have a particularly large staff. Um, and again, it is technically private property. So, you know, the easiest thing for them was just to say like, well, we can't handle this and, and close the, the gates. Unfortunately, on April 8th, there was basically a, a largest fire. Um, and happily, firefighters were able to respond. So it's a it's an, it's under an acre, but still a pretty significant fire, particularly since you know, the preserve has so much dry brush and there have been very large wildfires there um, in, in the past. And actually, when we um, had interviewed Linda Witham, who's the, the current manager of the preserve, that specifically she called out as her worst fear was was having another large fire. It's presumed to be human caused and it did um, do damage to some blind structures and, and a, a walkway as well. 
Um, so, you know, it's unclear right now as to the exact cause of the, the fire, but it is presumed to be the human caused. So it sounds like when the Widom told the Mobson News that she wants to open to the public again, but she's feeling discouraged based on this recent event. Well, I mean, a lot of this falls, I mean, specifically just on her. Basically, like this is a, a an area that is really beautiful and a lot of, you know, residents use. Um, some visitors who are maybe more hip and have caught on to that this is a, a cool area used. And just the visitation has skyrocketed in recent years while, you know, there are still just a handful of um, of officials who are sort of like kind of maintaining and taking care of this this area. And this area's primary use is is not as sort of public land. It's a it's a private reserve that specifically is for conservation. So I think that everyone is really clear that if there's a choice between sort of like public access and, you know, risking bird <laughs> bird habitat and sort of the fish nursery that's there, it, it's there for conservation primarily. And really, it just seems as if sort of this, this public use has gotten out of hand to the point at which that it's risking those conservation goals. It must be horribly stressful, you know, for, for the officials, because um, these are um, decisions that don't have simple answers. Everyone's been in a position where everyone has a suggestion, you know, for how you could do this better. You mm-hmm. know, and you're like, it's not for want of ideas. Mm-hmm. It's often for want of capacity. Maggie McGuire, editor at the Moab Sun News. Subscription information and more stories can be found at moabsunnews.com. That's it for the Weekly Newsreel, where we speak with reporters and editors about the most recent stories they covered in our area. Find the pieces mentioned today in the show notes of the news on our website and podcast. Thanks for tuning in and supporting KZMU, community-powered radio.